Hello and welcome into Two Dogs, a Guy, and a Movie Podcast. I am your host, Chris Hancock. I am joined by my two four-legged executive producers, Mosby, my two-year-old pit mix, and Luna, my one-year-old pit mix. They would like me to remind you that it is always better to adopt than shop, so visit your local Humane Society or rescue group and pick up a four-legged friend today if you've got room in your home and your heart for one. What we do on this show is we take a movie and we break it down, try and give you uh, some background on what goes on in it uh, and a review of it to help you decide if it's something you want to see or avoid or maybe you've already seen it and you just want to further hear about it. So that's what we'll get into today, except for today's episode will actually contain a little bit of a book review as well since this movie was adapted from a novel, so we'll get into that now. So on today's episode, we'll be breaking down Ready Player One, which is an adaptation of the Ernest Cline novel by the same name. It is directed by Steven Spielberg. It has a runtime of 2 hours and 24 minutes. It is based in the year 2045, where we join in on a video game contest. The contest we learn is set up by James Halliday, who was the creator of The Oasis, which is a virtual reality world uh, inside of a video game where you can create an avatar and be whoever you want to be or whatever you want to be and do so anonymously. That's the beauty of The Oasis is nobody knows who you are. And so the game that... Uh, James Halliday created is upon his death he did not have any heirs or anything like that to leave his fortune and control of the Oasis 2 so he created this contest in which you had to find Halliday's Easter egg now I don't mean Easter egg in the plastic find a piece of candy or some money inside Easter egg I am referring to in the video game sense an Easter egg which is something that is hidden inside a game that you have to do some special activity to reveal uh, just a tidbit of information a history of the Easter egg it is you know revealed later on in this movie but the Easter egg is something that was created by Warren Robinette who was a game designer for Atari when Atari would not allow their game designers to take credit for their work so he hid a uh, a part in a game uh, in the game code where you could find an object and take it to a room in the game and it would reveal who the designer of the game was. So Warren Robinette was the original creator of the Easter egg for video games. As an homage to that, that is what James Halliday decided to do was hide his fortune and controlling stake of Oasis, uh, aka Gregarious Games, in the Oasis somewhere as an Easter egg. He hid it behind three gates which you need three keys to open and that is the basis of this movie it is a hunt to find Halliday's Easter egg so there are two groups basically that are hunting 
for Halliday's Treasure. And it is the Gunters, which is just Egg Hunters, abbreviated. And there's also a group called the Sixers. Now, they are a company that is trying to gain control of the Oasis so that they can monetize it and take away the anonymity of the Oasis. So that's kind of what these two groups are about. The Gunters want to win so they can keep control of the Oasis for more gamer-friendly, user-friendly, universe-friendly purposes where where the Sixers, also known as IOI, uh, really just want to take it over and funnel money into their pockets. So that's the basis of where the movie is is going. We are introduced to several characters early on as we are brought into a race, which is to find the first key. Uh, We are introduced to uh, Wade Watts. His avatar is known as Parzival. Uh, He is played by Ty Sheridan. We are also introduced to Samantha, whose avatar is Artemis, uh, and she is played by Olivia Cook. I I will probably refer to the characters as their avatars more than I do their regular names. That's why I'm telling you both. There's also H, who is played by Lena Waithe. Daito is played by Wynn Marasaki, and Sho, who is played by Philip Sow. Now, these are Gunters. They will eventually become known as the High Five, so they are the main group of Gunters that this movie follows. Obviously, they are meant to be the protagonist in this movie, Parzival and Artemis more so than the other three, but they are all crucial to the movie. As far as the Sixers go, the leader of the Sixers is Norman Sorrento. He is played by Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, He has a right-hand woman named Fanal Sandor. She is played by Hannah John Kamen. And he is also helped out in the Oasis by an avatar named Irock. And he is played by T.J. Miller. Um, So they are on the bad side of things. Uh, James Halliday is played by Mark Rylance, and his partner Ogden Morrow uh, is played by Simon Pegg. And that kind of breaks down the rest of the cast that is important to know for this movie. Um, So as we're brought into this race, you see a group of Gunters mixed with a group of Sixers as the race gets ready to start, and you see kind of what this world is about. You've got King Kong, you've got T-Rexes, you've got Parzival driving a DeLorean, and, you know, all this crazy stuff going on because it's just a giant video game. And so throughout a couple of scenes, you find out what it takes to get to the first key, and that unlocks the storyline to go forward into the treasure hunt and shows the high five uh, going and trying to find clues to get to the the next key, mainly focusing again on Parzival and Artemis. They start a love storyline for them very early on in this movie, uh, so they obviously want to focus on Artemis and Parzival together as much as possible, and that's what they do in the search for the the keys and the gates. And while they are searching for the keys and the gates, they continuously show what Norman Sorrento and his group are trying to do to stop them both in the Oasis and outside of the Oasis. 
Uh, so it's very interesting back and forth with the Gunters and the Sixers throughout the movie. Obviously, it has to culminate in some grand battle. Otherwise, what what would they be building up for in this good versus evil scenario? Uh, and in that big battle scene, you get to witness a lot more nostalgia thrown at you. You've got Battletoads and Ninja Turtles and the Iron Giant. Uh, you know, just different things from different eras. You have Gundams and things like that from Japanimation and, and anime shows. So they really throw a lot to try and cover several generations in this movie to try and keep people noticing all the different eye candy that they're throwing at you in the form of nostalgia. Um, There's uh, a few twists and turns during the battle to try and keep you guessing on just how it's going to play out, who it's going to play out for, and things of that nature, just to keep you guessing and on your toes, uh, constantly going back between the Oasis and real world scenarios. Luckily, it's very easy to keep separate which one is which since anytime you're viewing the oasis obviously it's in a much different visual representation and you can tell a distinct difference between the real world and the oasis for movie purposes and that's pretty much it for the synopsis of the movie there's just a lot of back and forth and i'll get to more of it as i break down my thoughts on the movie the review part of the show ready player one is an interesting watch uh to be fair i had to go and see it a second time to give an honest opinion on it uh because of my love for the book and i'll get to that later when i get to the uh, book to movie comparison um I'd give my best performances to Olivia Cook and Mark Rylance. Uh, Olivia Cook did a fantastic job of bringing the character of Artemis slash Samantha uh, to the screen. I felt like she did a good job of representing who Artemis was supposed to be. I'm not a fan of the leaps uh, they took creatively with her character storyline, but she did a really good job in her role. Uh, I thought she was definitely the best performer in the movie. Mark Rylance being the next with his performance as James Halliday. And uh, he just did a great job of really bringing this awkward genius to life. Uh, I think he... Uh, was a strong casting decision for this movie and did a really strong job. Uh, my third best performance I'd give to T.J. Miller. Uh, it's just not a whole lot of options in this movie for great performances, uh, to be kind. So I'll give 
third place to TJ Miller, who was really good for comic relief and kind of streamlining some aspects of the book that needed to be brought in to make certain parts of the movie work. On a star rating, probably looking at two. I might give it two and a quarter, but that's a little bit of a stretch. It's entertaining, but it ends up being more of a young adult teen movie. I mean, maybe kids would like it. It just doesn't really appeal the way the book did to my age demographic uh, or older demographics that would have appreciated the 80s nostalgia a little bit more than the 90s and also just the overall feel of the movie just kind of a sappy you know who's gonna win in the end storyline so it's just another way of getting there um spielberg i felt like he got carried away with the visuals in the movie and ended up not really focusing on developing a real strong character when it came to wade watts slash pars of all uh he's supposed to be a lot deeper character than we got to experience in this movie his character arc was non-existent in this movie he's the same character throughout he is almost an anti-hero i mean obviously he is the main hero of the movie but it's by just default basically i mean that's how it ends up feeling in this movie is he's just the one that gets to be the the hero instead of the one that earned it Uh, i mean artemis should have been the overall hero by her character arc so i just felt like spielberg really missed the mark there i think he left his main character underdeveloped uh maybe that was on ty sheridan but i don't really think so i mean it could be a writing thing regardless somebody somebody dropped the ball on developing wade watts so i'd put him not as my worst character Daito is a pretty throwaway character. He's just not important. And Sho isn't really either, but at least he has some humor to him. Ben Mendelsohn as Sorrento, I felt was a big miss as well. He's an Australian actor, so that may be why his character has a lisp in this movie. That just may be how he comes across with his American accent because he also has a lisp in uh, the Star Wars movie that he's in Uh, but I've also seen some other clips where it seems that he doesn't have the lisp so I think it was a very poor choice to give him the direction or maybe he took the direction of giving the character a lisp. Norman Sorrento is supposed to be kind of a hard ass in real life and in the oasis and they only make him a hard ass in the oasis and outside he's kind of just a pissant he falls short of being a good villain because you don't take him seriously which again plays into the kind of kiddiness of this movie 
it's just kind of a hammed up villain. You end up just thinking he's just not a very good bad guy. I mean, his sidekicks are more worthy of being the villain than he is just based on how the character is played. So Ben Mendelsohn in this role is is pretty low on my list of performances. If you want to see this movie, it's not going to be in theaters too much longer. So check it out on Redbox or Netflix, something like that, on demand. If you see it and you just want to be impressed by some visuals, but I wouldn't put it in a uh, top 10 of must watches it's just it's not not worth your time to seek it out and really set set it aside as something you want to watch it's something that if you come across it watch it but it's just not very great i'm just even after seeing it a second time and trying to not expect it to be the book it's just not that great and that's going to wrap up the movie review portion and we will get into comparing how this movie lived up to the book. this movie stack up to the book well it didn't it it fell so 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 short i mean the first time i went to go see this movie i was immediately frustrated it was very clear to me that they were going to take very large creative liberties with what the book was supposed to be to try and make this movie and it was just incredibly disappointing i expected big things from steven spielberg and knowing that ernest klein was attached to the screenplay i figured it would stay somewhat consistent to the book i understand you have to streamline things when you're converting a novel into a movie but this this was homicide. This was a gruesome murder of transitioning a novel into a movie. Uh, one thing I'd really like to point out about the book is it often refers to trilogy series of movies. I feel like it did that to be kind of a way of saying, hey, if you ever make me into a movie, you might want to split me up into multiple movies because this is a lot. This is a lot to take on. And instead, they just decided, hey, let's just rape and pillage this book and try and take some parts out of it to just shove this random storyline into it and make it work. And it was just terrible. It was just a terrible, terrible representation of this book. The fact that they wasted Wade Watts as a character is just atrocious. Wade Watts 
is supposed to be this wimpy pushover at the very beginning of the book or the movie, whichever way you want to take it, and have this progression to where he builds into learning from his mistakes and things like that and building himself into this likable, go-out-on-a-limb, risk-things character. And in the movie, he's just... He's just a dude. He's just a dude the entire time. The same dude. He doesn't change. He's he's just Wade Watts the entire movie. There's nothing special about him. Artemis, on the other hand, is a badass. And she's supposed to be a badass. But she didn't need an additional tragic backstory with the whole father being in a loyalty center because her tragic backstory was already supposed to be that she'd been living with his birthmark and so in the oasis she was able to hide that and not be judged by being different so i just felt like it was an unnecessary step to make artemis more of a tragic figure and also more of a hero because if you had to just followed the damn book closer you would have seen that Artemis was already one of the heroes of the book and so by making her more so of the hero you just absolutely diminish what Wade Watts is supposed to be and he ends up looking more like a right place right time character than somebody that earned what he got and I just I was so disappointed Uh, not in Olivia Cook she did a fantastic job not in Mark Rylance he did a fantastic job Uh, I would have liked to have seen more of Simon Pegg as Ogden Morrow I would have liked to have seen just more of the Ogden Morrow uh, storyline play out that would have been better but you know again you got to streamline some things just This movie was such a disappointment when it came to comparing it to the book. And I hate to be one of those guys because I'm I'm never the person that thinks, oh, the movie is not as good as the book. Because I usually haven't read the book that I'm going to see the movie on, which got me in trouble when I went to go see Marley and Me. I mean, I should have seen how the ending was going to go, but, you know, I... I didn't know Marley and Me was a book and I could have saved myself some money and some, you know, crying in public. But these things happen. Don't don't see Marley and Me if you're not ready. That's what I'm saying. You know, small small movie review. Don't see Marley and Me if you're not ready. Don't do it. Back to Ready Player One. I just felt like it was a huge miss by Spielberg. Uh, I thought that it was a huge letdown on the fact that Ernest Cline was involved with making this into the screenplay. And apparently there's going to be a sequel to Ready Player One and Spielberg and Ernest Cline are working on it together. I don't know if it's supposed to be a book and a movie or just a movie, but either way, it's probably going to just be terrible. I mean, this one, me giving this one two to two and a quarter stars is gracious. It's, it's, it's gracious. 
And I can't imagine I'd be that gracious to the sequel because it, you just ruined it. And the problem with ruining it is that nobody's going to touch it for another 20 plus years. And it's probably just not going to happen at that point. So you took a chance to make a multi-movie sequence out of this book, which you're apparently still going to do, but you've already ruined the storyline. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to make Parzival the old guy that leaves his fortune in control? I mean, come on. Come on. What's the next storyline? Artemis and Parzival have a kid? Just... Ah, yawn, yawn, yawn. My number one recommendation is just read the book or listen to the audiobook. Will Wheaton narrates the audiobook. It's a fantastic listen. He does a great job on it. But the book is just so much better than this movie could ever, ever hope to be. There's just no chance of this movie living up to the book. And a lot of it is just the fact that they they didn't stay true to the demographic that this book was meant for. I feel like the biggest crowd that was going to go see this movie were people that had read the book or listened to the book and ended up at the theater and you just abandoned them. You didn't even try. You didn't even try to give us the book you just immediately abandoned it. And that sucks. You took out all the 80s nostalgia, but in the last scene with James Halliday, you have a Joust poster on the wall. You have a Rush 2112 poster on the wall. He's wearing a Space Invader shirt. So you're clearly paying homage to parts of the novel, but if you're going to put those references in there then why can't they be part of the storyline like they are in the book yes i understand the book deals with dungeons and dragons and old computer games and old 80s movies that some people aren't gonna get it's gonna take a little bit more that's why you make it multiple movies and not jam this storyline down our throat to force feed it to us and then say you're going to make a second movie when you could have just saved us all some time, some some pain of watching this pile of garbage you pass off for a representation of this novel and made it into multiple movies to give us the greatness that was the book. You could have gotten enough references from the 90s if you needed to to keep people involved that's the great part about the oasis you could have included as much crap as you wanted to and pulled off this movie as the book deserved but that didn't happen and we get left with this garbage it it's just tragic I had such high expectations, and I know that's my fault. I should have known better, but I trusted Spielberg. I trusted Spielberg. That guy gave me Hook. That guy gave me Jurassic Park. I mean, how how was I not supposed to trust Spielberg? How was I not supposed to trust Jaws 
N-E-T. How? How was I not supposed to trust that? Well, the answer is Ready Player One. Ready Player One is the answer to how I was not supposed to trust Steven Spielberg. And I've learned my lesson. I, I have lowered expectations for Steven Spielberg movies from now on. And maybe that's not fair. Maybe I shouldn't do that. But this isn't the first miss. And I doubt it'll be the last. But here's hoping he can make some rebound. Because he and we deserve that. And that's going to end up being the end of this podcast. I know it was a little bit longer since it involved a book review, but I hope it was all interesting. Uh, Again, I recommend the book over the movie. If you're going to watch the movie, do so before you read the book. Otherwise, you're just going to absolutely hate this movie. Not that it's an Academy Award-winning movie by any means. I can't imagine it'd be nominated for anything aside from maybe a Razzie. Uh, if it even becomes that relevant. But read the book. Listen to the book. That's the way to go on this one. Just save yourself some time. And that's coming from someone who saw it twice. I could have saved my time twice but I didn't. So save yourself some time and don't do it. Don't see this movie unless you're just already there. You don't want to change the channel. You've already burned through The Office again on Netflix. Just save yourself some time. On the next episode, I will be taking a look at the Mr. Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor?, this movie is kind of got a limited release, but I was lucky enough to come across it at one of my local theaters. So I went and checked that out, and I will be releasing that episode right behind this one. So you kind of got a twofer going on with this one and that one. Won't you be my neighbor? Uh, and I will break that down for you in the next episode. On behalf of Mosby and Luna, I'd like to thank you for joining us here at Two Dogs, a Guy, and a Movie Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, criticisms, suggestions, feel free to send me an email at twodogsaguy at gmail.com, and I'll make sure to take a look at that. I hope you've enjoyed your time here with us. I appreciate you taking the time to listen and I hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. I hope it's been helpful. My name is Chris Hancock, and thanks again. Thanks again.